Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. One-on-one interviews with the people who've left a lasting imprint on the government and the nation. Now your host, Aileen Black. Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Todd Stoudemire, CEO and board member of CNSI. We live in an amazing city, Washington, D.C. D.C. is rich in history and people who have made and are making history. Our nation is what it is today because people had dreams and had the inner force to make it a reality. Todd Stoudemire, our guest today, has held a wide range of corporate leadership roles in IT management, transformation, innovation, biomedical engineering, international business, legal administration, and compliance and acquisition at integration. Mr. Stoudemire is the CEO and the board member of CNSI, a health IT-based firm in Rockville. He previously served as the CEO of Inova Health Systems Center for Personalized Health. First, Todd, thank you for joining us here at Leaders and Legend. Thank you for having me. Great to be with you today. So, Todd, let's start with your background a little bit. Um, you graduated from William & Mary, correct? I did. And you played football. I did. Now, did any part of your sports career carry over into your professional career? Oh, I think a, a big, big part of my sports career is carried over to my professional career. Um, you know, teamwork, building great teams. Um, you know, doing a lot of little things right. Prepare, prepare, prepare. I mean, those are all aspects of you know playing football and teams that you play when you when you're part of a football team, and it really is um, very relevant to business. Now, you've continued your education and went on to get a law degree from Georgetown University. I did. Now, uh, tell us, why did you pursue a law degree? Well, I was working full-time at BDM International, a technology and engineering um, services company that was a public company. And you know, I thought about an MBA or a law degree, and I was very interested um, as a public company, given the type of work that we were doing, uh, going to law school, contracts, securities, uh, corporations, commercial paper, um, national security law. These were all things I was very interested in, very relevant to what I was doing full time. So I went back to school at night at Georgetown and it was uh, four to five nights a week and sometimes on Saturday. So it was a, a long grind of working full time and going to law school, but I'm glad I did. I had a great experience at Georgetown. One of the neat things about a law degree is the focus on critical thinking uh, and also the ability to communicate both in writing and orally. So you do a lot of that in law school. So I think it was um, you know, good education and very relevant to what I was doing full time. Wow, that says that you have four kids. Uh, four uh, kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you went to law school. My goodness. I did not have kids at the time. That, that would have been much more difficult to do that. My, my daughter graduated this spring from law school and just passed a California bar. And we just found out the other day. So big celebration in a black household. Now, that's fantastic. That's um, important to pass that bar. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, you know, today with healthcare. Uh, the issues association associated with um, privacy. Does this law background, um, while you're grappling with some of these tough issues in, in your current roles, does it help you, uh, you know, help guide or, or make some decisions? Yeah, I think it does. I think, you know, certainly healthcare, whether you're doing work for the government, either Medicaid or Medicare, Medicare, you know, federal, Medicaid, state, or even in the commercial space, this is a regulated industry. So I think knowledge of the law and policy is uh, is also a you know, significant advantage. So I think it's relevant. My law degree is relevant in terms of what I do today. So many companies today are building mountains of data, and uh, in, in you know, along with our healthcare data. 
And the debate is very heavily contested on a privacy issue. I mean, whether you're wearing a Fitbit or whether you're, um, you know, you know, using some type of app that allows you to track your your heart monitor or or, or doing 23andMe. Um, has our laws been able to keep pace with the challenges and opportunities that this all this new technology has brought to the table? I mean, the short answer is no. Um, technology is always galloping faster than public policy, and public policy is always working to catch up uh, tech, technology. And you know, it's important that it does because you have to have that ecosystem, that, that framework, that legal and, and uh, regulatory framework in which to operate. But it doesn't keep up. So we are uh, technology will continue to, to go faster than public policy. Um, and it's also difficult because you have public policy makers that don't have backgrounds in, in technology, don't have backgrounds in healthcare. So that makes it even more difficult to have public policy keep up with uh, the advance of technology. You're listening to Leaders in Legend and Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. And our guest today is Todd Sotomayor, CEO, CNSI. Was there an influence or passion that helped you choose the career path you took? Is there somebody who really influenced you or an event? You know, I think it's uh, probably two people. I actually started my first job out of college was working on a political campaign, doing policy work in a gubernatorial campaign. And it uh, turned out that candidate lost. Um, interestingly, his opponent, who would become governor of Virginia, would later go on to be a 30-year very close friend. Unfortunately, Governor Blouse passed away last week. But that first job was exciting, was very different. Um, I was very fortunate to get the opportunity right after that to get an offer to come into a technology company in the lowest possible position that you could get in that company. So I was, again, very fortunate in 1985 to get that position. You know, there are probably two people that really impacted. Uh, and I've worked with some great people. I've worked for great CEOs, great colleagues. Um, you know, my father really impacted me. My father was a um, very um, grew up very poor in southern Pennsylvania, uh, finished high school, and went right into the United States Army as an 18-year-old and as an enlisted person, as a private in the Army, uh, came out three years later as a corporal, uh, but used that magnificent thing called the GI Bill to go to college at Miami of Ohio and then pursue a master's and doctorate program at the University of Pittsburgh. He would go on to be a foreign service officer, uh, part of the senior executive service, eventually was a deputy to the U.S. ambassadors at the United Nations in New York. He had the great privilege of working for uh, what would later become President George H.W. Bush, uh, John Scali, who'd been an anchor at ABC News, uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, who would go on to serve in the U.S. Senate from New York, and then Andrew Young, who would go on to be the mayor of Atlanta. So he had just a great experience working for those ambassadors. He concluded his career as really the head of OMB for the United Nations. And so his story to me, was always inspirational that it, you know, it didn't matter where you start. If you worked extremely hard uh, and really persevered and stayed at it, you could have real opportunity and success. So certainly, he's had a big part of my life. The other person, my first person in business I worked for was a gentleman by the name of George Newman who had a remarkable career. Um, he actually um, served as a New York City police officer. He had a master's degree, but in the 1930s served as a New York City police officer uh, served in combat in World War II, was in the invasion of Sicily, North Africa, and Normandy, and then uh, later served in the Foreign Service uh, around the world before going into business. And uh, he just had this remarkable career. And you know, he, a couple things he said to me that really impacted me. Um, you know, the first was always focus on continuous learning and stretch yourself. When the learning curve becomes more horizontal, you know, intentionally work to make it more vertical. So you're always learning new things. You like to say that the quality of your judgment is the accumulation of both the breadth and depth of your experiences. So both depth, meaning subject matter expertise, 
but breadth, meaning exposing yourself to different types of situations. And I think that was great advice to me. And finally, he had this great saying that he'd never made a bad decision in his entire life at the time he made the decision. And his point was you have to make decisions. You know, get the right people in the room, right data, right information, but be willing to make decisions. And you usually have the opportunity to alter those decisions if your facts and assumptions change, but get to the discipline of being able to make decisions. He said with the benefit of hindsight, clearly he made some decisions that were not the best decisions. But by having that decision-making discipline, um, it really helped him being successful in his career. So he was very, you know, when you're early on in your career and you have somebody like that, he was such a breadth of experiences and wisdom, um, you really listen. And I listened uh, very closely, and he was a great mentor in my life. They sound like both great men. They both have a military background. Do you think military training helps define that kind of disciplined leadership? I think it does. I mean, I, I did not serve in the military, but I think people who um, – And certainly in the military, they're very special people, the men and women who serve in our armed forces and the sacrifices that they and their family members make, um, you know, truly remarkable, particularly if you look at the last 15, 16, 17 years, we've been in combat in many places around the globe. So um, just amazing human beings. I think service more broadly, I think if military service is the highest order of service in my view, but people who are first responders, uh, people who serve their communities just as volunteers, I think that service mentality is very important because I think servant leadership is a very important principle to me in leading an organization. I think that comes from having a servant's heart. You don't just have to serve in the military to have that servant's heart, but certainly those men and women who do, I have incredible admiration for them. I'm speaking with Todd Stoudemire, CEO, CNSI. Coming up, we'll discuss how sometimes the best career path has change in your plan and rarely a straight line. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. I'm Eileen Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. I'm Eileen Black, and today I'm talking with Todd Stoudemire, CEO CNSI. Todd, you've had some very interesting roles from being a CFO to becoming a CEO. Would you recommend a listener that may be just starting out who would like to be a CEO someday to follow a path that's not exactly a straight line? Yeah, I think that's actually, uh, you know, I started at a company, BDM International, and it was very GE-like, and I was there 13 years, and the company had a set of unique experiences. When I joined the company, we were a publicly traded company. We sold the company to Ford Motor Company. Uh, We did one of the first buyouts with the Carlisle Group in 1990 when we bought the company back from Ford Motor Company, and then we went public again, and we went from being mostly a a government-oriented company to a company that had significant commercial operations and international operations. So, I've you know the ability to um, you know, have those types of experiences and, ex- and and experience that I think was very influential in my own career. At the same time, the company was very intentional about moving you around and taking on different responsibilities every couple of years, and that certainly helped me grow as a person. So, by the time I left that company after 13 years. I had seen almost every aspect of a business. I've been involved in almost every aspect of a business, which was great because I hadn't been stovepiped in any particular area. And I think that prepared me well to go do other things. Um, you know, going back to that early mentor uh, who I had, his name was George Newman. And he really talked about the breadth of your experiences. And that was who you associate yourself with, your friends, where you travel, uh, what do you read, um, do you stretch and put yourself in situations that are very uncomfortable? And so he really ingrained in me at a very early age professionally to continuously put yourself 
in new situations, situations that were going to stretch you professionally, personally, were going to expose you to different things because his view, again, that the quality of your judgment was defined by both the breadth and the depth of your experiences. So I've had a little bit circuitous career, some of it intentional, some of it unintentional. I think he also stressed about being open to things that might not, you know, sound like they naturally follow, but you're going to gain experiences in doing those types of things that will be valuable in some other role. So, um, you know, life's an exciting, interesting journey, and I've tried to be open to that journey and where it might take me. So after you went on to become president of McGuire Woods Capital, uh, then you left to start your own company. Um, how did that come about? That's Those are some pretty as you put, bold moves? Well, when I left BDM after being there 13 years, I went to, was CFO of BTG. And being a CFO, by the way, is one of the greatest jobs you can have. You're at the center of everything. You really learn every aspect of business. And that was, again, a publicly traded company. I went to McGuire Woods. It was, I did consulting for about two years. Again, it was a different perspective because I was now making recommendations that others were implementing where I'd been in the mode of implementation before. I think I found that I actually enjoy doing the implementation more than the recommending. So, you got to know where your strengths are and, importantly, where your energy is. Um, you know, the decision to start a business was was interesting. Um, I had sat on a board of directors for a, a private company that was thinking about a recapitalization and partnering with a private equity group, Arlington Capital Partners. They ended up not doing that, but I met the folks at Arlington. Um, and then there was an intervening event. It was 9-11. And 9-11, of course, impacted the country very significantly and certainly those who lost loved ones. Um, I lost three friends on 9-11. Uh, people I'd known uh, growing up, people I'd known professionally. Um, I stopped and really thought about, you know, where am I in my career? What do I want to do? You know, where are hopefully my skills? Where does that match my passion, my energy? And I decided with uh, a business partner, Paul Leslie, that we would write a business plan um, to build a a strong homeland security uh, defense technology uh, company. We did that. We ended up going to Arlington Capital Partners, that relationship, and asking them to support us with equity capital. They did. We started the company, uh, made an initial acquisition, and then we had a, a fortunately, very successful run. But the motivation to do that was for those three friends who had passed away on 9-11, all three um, killed uh, in the Pentagon, uh, two on the ground and one on the plane. And so that was a, it's one of those inflection points in your life where you really stop and think, are my relationships great? Um, Am I doing what I really want to do? Is there something more I want to do? So that motivation to start that company had a lot to do with the loss of three friends on 9-11. You're listening to Leaders and Legend of Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal's Net, Net News Network. Our guest today is Todd Stoudemire, CEO, CNSI. What did you learn from being a CEO during those very, you know, that was that was a very stressful time in, in the United States, looking at what was going on, a lot of effort uh, in, in the area of security. Uh, what was it like being a CEO? Well, I think that the neat thing for me and my business partner, I think our other senior leaders, is that we were passionate about the mission of the organization, and we thought that what we were doing was impactful um, to the security and national security of the United States. So having that passion for your mission and passion for what you're doing is imperative, and we were very passionate about what we were doing. Um, it was a difficult and uncertain time for the, for the country. Um, it was also, for me, I was a first-time CEO. And when you're a first-time CEO, every day is a new day and a different day because every day tomorrow is something you didn't do previously. And so one of the things I think I learned early on being a a CEO for the first time uh, was to have a really outstanding board of directors and probably more importantly, having what I call my personal board of directors. And I developed that over time 
you know, people who had done things, frankly, that I hadn't done or done more things than I had done, people that I could turn to for great advice, counsel, private counsel, who would give me uh, strong feedback if I needed it, and also really help and coach and mentor me. And those individuals, uh, many of whom are still alive today, have been really impactful to me, not only the first time I was a CEO, but in the other opportunities I've been privileged to lead organizations um, since then. I understand after that you eventually went to work for ANOVA. Um, how did that come about? Was that another uh, you know, offshoot of this passion? Well, we sold the, the company that I started, uh, that we started, Apigen Technologies, was sold to a large British company, and I had a, a non compete, so I couldn't be in the, in the technology business for a while. And I ended up, uh, there was a national search to become president and CEO of the National Federation of Independent Business. One of the big issues that we focused on at NFIB was healthcare. And we were at the, you know, kind of the beginning of what would eventually become the Affordable Care Act. So we were heavily involved in the national debate around healthcare reform and changes to our healthcare system. I was fascinated by that. Um, so that was one aspect. The second aspect, I've been involved with ANOVA really going back uh, to when my son was born and our son was born in 1993. He was born and became very sick. Um, the NICU saved his life. The NICU nurses, doctors as well, but the nurses are just amazing. So I had a, an affiliation with ANOVA. That actually intersected with the, the then CEO. He was looking for somebody uh, with the changes that were coming in healthcare um, somebody who didn't think like everybody else inside of healthcare, somebody who had some experience with healthcare, and my experience had been on the policy side, uh, but somebody who would come in and just, if you looked at a you know, white piece of paper, somebody might say it's white, I might say it's blue, just thinking very differently, challenging the assumptions within healthcare. One of the concerns he had, and I think it's very valid, is that healthcare has been historically very insular. Uh, obviously, you can only hire doctors to, to be doctors and nurses to be nurses. But the executives, you know, they really come out of healthcare, they stay in healthcare, and they never get out of their industries. And he was looking for somebody who would come in and just think differently than the way a lot of folks think. And so I was, you know, really excited and fortunate to have somebody who would, you know, ask me to come do that, become part of the executive management team at, at Anova. You sound like you're you're not risk adverse. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> so you're meeting opportunity and change, and your change, again, wasn't a straight line. So, you know, for listeners out there that are looking at, you know, what's next for their 2.0, um, how did you how do you go about assessing, hey, this is a good risk for me to take? Well, I think it starts with where, I mean, hopefully where you have some skills, but also where's your passion and energy? And, you know, having done the policy work in healthcare, I was really interested in learning the operational aspects of healthcare. I mean, it's 18% of our gross domestic product, everybody's impacted by healthcare. My interest in the intersection between technology and healthcare was how could technology, how could we deploy technology to get better health outcomes and reduce healthcare costs? That's something we all want in this country. So the ability to go in and, and go into ANOVA the first time and get involved operationally and learn the operations of healthcare, which I didn't know, frankly. I had to get and learn the operations of healthcare uh, was really exciting. I had information technology, biomedical engineering, and other um, uh, functions reported to me. And so one of the things we did was actually made a decision around electronic medical records, electronic health records, and buying Epic, an EMR software company, and implementing that. So it was a, a big learning curve. Again, that learning curve was very vertical for me when I first got there. I had a lot of listening, a lot of learning, uh, but exciting to, to, to get in and learn something about an industry that I was really interested in. I'm speaking with Todd Stoudemire, CEO CNSI. Coming up next, we'll continue to talk about marrying your passion with your skills to really drive your career. The changing technology landscape and the role innovation will play in our future. 
You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Todd Stoudemire, CEO CNSI. Now, you clearly, story after story, have married your passion with your capabilities. Do you think it has contributed to fueling your success? Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, one of the most important things in life is to be authentic. And um, if you're authentic, then somebody once said, the neat thing about being authentic, you don't have to worry tomorrow about who you were trying to be yesterday or today. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're authentic, you you really try to focus in on understanding your skills because that's important, self-awareness, and very importantly, understanding where your energy and passions are. Because you can actually be good at something and if you don't have the energy and passion, you can do it for a period of time, but eventually it's going to wear you out. So I, I think absolutely, I think the most important thing, whether it's for me or anybody in an organization as a leader, is to try to work with your employees to help them understand where their skills are and also their energy and passion and put them in those positions because that's how they're going to be the most successful as individuals and also as members of a team. It makes work not work. It's not work. Anyway, it's work, but but it makes it, if you're really passionate about what you do, Days move along pretty quickly because you, no matter the situation, even if it's a difficult situation, the underlying passion and energy about what you're doing is always going to be there. And Todd, I, I can feel your energy and your commitment. Uh, you know, I, I knew you prior to your current role, and I could feel your commitment and energy to the huge investment and in expanding of Inova, and it sounds like a very exciting role that you have now at CNSI. But let me ask you a question. Um, would you quit your job if you won the lottery? And and if so, then what would you go do? No, I would not. I mean, I uh, I wouldn't quit my job because I've you know made a commitment here. I have a, a lot of uh, individuals who've you know joined me at the company, and I think importantly in business, there are lots of responsibilities. But I take that stewardship responsibility very seriously, and that stewardship responsibility is being a steward not just for our clients, but very importantly being stewards for the employees who work in the organization. So no, I wouldn't. Um, there are other things I like to do. I'm a big fan of David Brooks, uh, who's written two great books, one, The Road to Character, and the other, The Second Mountain. The Second Mountain talks about purpose and thinking about when you're done, you know, maybe professionally, are there other things you want to do? And and certainly, um, you know, I'm, I'm very interested in, in social justice issues. Um, I've had the opportunity to, be, to lead and be part of an organization that uh, does a lot of great work in Sierra Leone, West Africa, uh, with um, a hospital that focuses on women's and children's health. So I have a lot of other passions outside of work, but uh, if I won the lottery, I keep doing what I'm doing. And at some point, um, you know, when I wasn't the leader of the company, there's some other things I'd like to do. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. Our guest today is Todd Stoudemire, CEO, CNSI. So tell me, you had so many accomplishments, but is there accomplishment that really just shaped and drove your career? You know, I've been blessed to have um, some really great opportunities, great mentors, great teammates, and, and and frankly, whatever accomplishments that have happened have really been a result of a team effort. Because I and it goes back to your comment question earlier about sports. I really believe it is a team effort. You know, probably the the proudest that I am of of, of a team was actually the first company where I was CEO. Uh, we had a significant number of employees in the New Orleans area that were impacted uh, in a very material way by Katrina. And um, many of whom are employees, they lost their homes, that there was serious damage. And, you know, you talk about corporate values and are those values real? You never really find out if values are real 
until it's a very difficult time. You know, you don't really find out anything when things are going real well. But right after that, that hurricane went through, um, you know, our offices were flooded. We could not continue to work. Um, many of our employees had lost their homes. And we made a decision on that Monday right after the hurricane that we were going to continue to pay our several hundred employees whether they could work or not. And that ultimately ended up uh, people carrying around bags of cash because the banking system broke down to get money to our employees so they could continue to pay their bills and feed their families and try to live. And there was no hesitancy whatsoever, even though that was going to cost us I mean, several million dollars off our balance sheet. And we had the ability to do that, to continue to do the right thing with our employees. So I, I was very proud of the way we acted because we talked about our employees being our most important asset. And here was a question whether or not we would live that out. More uh, impressive to me, and this I think goes to the culture of the organization, is that our employees um, came together on Thanksgiving, uh, the non-impacted employees, and we only had about 1,200 employees total, and they made a um, individual gifts of their own money, and I think it ended up being you know, six or seven hundred thousand dollars that then was given to those families that were in need, and and um, that may not sound like a big thing, but when you've just lost your home and your company is continuing to pay you whether you can work or not, and even if the company can't work and we couldn't work for a while, and when your colleagues from around the country who were not impacted come forth and they put in their own money to help you in a very difficult time, yeah, that was probably the most proud because I think we lived out our, our corporate values, and I think we had created the right type of culture where people would respond for those in need. So that was probably the, the proudest point of a leader of an organization. Culture vision, they all intersect in what defines your company. Um, would you define the kind of culture and vision you'd want to see in your company today? Well, I think, you know, I think it was uh, one very smart person a long time ago said culture each strategy for lunch. I think it might have been Peter Lynch, um, I don't recall, um, or Drucker um, that said that. I think that's true. I think culture is everything. Culture really is the essence of the organization, the values around the organization, um, if you get your culture right and your values right and you live those out, I think a lot of good things can happen for an organization. So, you know, the type of culture that, that I've tried to create, that we've tried to create is really that servant leader culture where employees come first, you know, customers, team, company, and the individual leader last. And um, I think in that type of culture, it's a very uh, empowering culture, a supportive culture where we as leaders do everything we possibly can to you know, set goals and objectives, but help our colleagues be successful, hold them accountable as well. But really the, the, the whole emphasis is on success and how can we help you be successful in your role? And that goes back to that servant leadership type of culture that's been very important to me, both when I worked for other CEOs, but also as a CEO of the organizations I've been privileged to lead. Now, Todd, I'm going to change this a little bit and go back a little bit on the technology. Uh, there's been a few changes in the world that have created more uncertainty in the workplace than recent seemingly sudden advancements in automation and artificial intelligence. Um, driving and leveraging innovation, many believe that can make a difference between a company's continue to thrive or not. Um, even change some world powers if, if you really look at it from a, a, an overall perspective. AI, cloud, 5G, and quantum technology, just to name the a few, are really changing everything we do in touch. I mean, McDonald's just recently bought an AI company, right? Mm -hmm. So the technology cycle and advances are on hyperspeed. Tell me, uh, you, you have such a, a, a caring leadership. Tell me about a project that 
Um, or how how do you help change the way an organization adopts innovation and reforms itself to really take advantage of it, find momentum around it? Yeah, I think the um, you know I think back why I became a zealot for technology, became passionate around technology was really the impact that technology could have so broadly, whether it was at first national defense and security, um, healthcare, you know, the impact on consumers. I mean, it, it is ubiquitous and it's it's part of everything that we do. Um, you know, I think back to BDM International, uh, the American Red Cross would have been under a consent decree because there were issues around the integrity of the blood supply. And we actually were asked to build a blood manufacturing system using software and information technology tools that would allow the American Red Cross to have uh, confidence in the sanctity of their blood supply. Well, that's important because, you know, the blood supply, um, so many, you know, things and important things come out of that blood supply, not just transfusions and things like that, but blood products. And and here was technology doing something that was solving a problem, a serious problem, uh, a societal issue and in, in giving real integrity uh, to that blood supply. So, um, you know, I've seen that over and over and over again. I've seen it on the healthcare side. I've seen it on the non-healthcare side. Um, you know, disruption and innovation, I mean, that is part of the cadence of, of where we are as a country and as a world. There's just constant disruption, constant innovation. I think to have innovation and creativity, you have to create a culture of courage where people are willing to um, really push hard and, and sometimes fail, fail quickly, learn, and then try again. And I think that's very important across industries, certainly important in the healthcare space to have that ability to fail, fail quickly, and then learn. And then, you know, new innovation until you get it right or with a new discovery or new opportunity, um, a new advancement. Has it created a skills gap in, in the healthcare slash technology industry? Yeah, I think I think it is. I mean, I think in, in a lot of ways, um, healthcare has been late to the information technology game, if you will, other industries I think earlier on uh, derived the benefits of information technology, you know, financial services, manufacturing, um, healthcare. I think the first big effort was the digitization of electronic, you know, records to making those erect, making those health records electronic. Um, that's important and that's interesting. But you, a comment earlier, I think the real opportunity is what do we do with the data? And it's not just you know clinical data; it's public health data, it's genomic data, it's social determinants of health data. How do we bring that data together and turn it into actionable information so that we can improve health outcomes either at an individual level or a population level and reduce healthcare costs? You know, a lot of people like the term big data. I don't because data is interesting, but it's not relevant unless you can turn it into actionable information. So one of the objectives for CNSI as a company is how do we take data that runs through our systems, claims data, other types of data, combine that with other data and bring it together in a way that helps those who we serve, our clients, make better informed, more data-based decisions that improve health outcomes and reduce healthcare costs. I'm speaking with Todd Stoudemire, CEO, CNSI. Next, we'll find out what's on the top of Todd's list for the new year. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black. When we need help, we turn to government. When government needs help, they turn to Federal News Network. Federal News Network. For news on the federal pay raise. To learn how other agencies handle IT modernization. To see how Congress funds my agency. For changes to my TRICARE benefits. For the latest on my security clearance. Federal News Network. Federal News Network. 
helping feds meet their mission. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black, and today I'm talking to Todd Stottlemyer, CEO of CNNSI. So, Todd, I got to ask you, what do you hope to accomplish within the next year as CEO of CNSI? Well, I think first we're continuing to build um, a great team. And, and to me, you know, everything starts with culture and people. Do you have the right people in the right roles doing the right things that are passionate about the mission of the organization, uh, who are outstanding leaders? So we've uh, we've been very fortunate to add a, a number of uh, individuals over the last several months, people who are really uh, fantastic and, and have great backgrounds have joined our team. We'll continue to do that in 2020 to continue to build the team. That's a a dynamic process, not a static process, as you know. Um, You know, very importantly, we're also focused on, you know, growth in the marketplace. And we think, you know, based on our products and and our applications, that we have an opportunity to grow significantly in the state healthcare marketplace. Uh, We've done some great work for our federal clients. Um, You know, CMS, our system is the system for uh, the Medicare Part C Advantage uh, system, managed care. And uh, we've done some great work for other federal clients, so we'll continue to focus there. And then we're also taking a look at whether or not some of our products and applications have relevancy in the commercial sector, particularly for payers and providers. So a big focus on you know, getting the right people on the team, um, you know, growing the organization, continuing to build out our subject matter expertise around healthcare, um, continuing to attract great talent, software engineers um, and, and uh, developers. Uh, it's a very tight market from a, a labor standpoint. So the question about the skills mix, that is a challenge in the marketplace today. I've never seen the market, frankly, this tight from a labor perspective. So we're focused on how we can retain talent, how we can attract new talent. And again, that gets to culture and the and the type of organization you have. Are, are you really truly a great place to work? And do people want to stay there because they think they have career growth opportunities? They think there's strong servant leadership in place. They think there's exciting things that are happening from a growth standpoint. So we're, again, focus on culture, focus on growth, focus on having the right talent. So there there's clearly is a huge talent gap. I know my son is um, uh, has done a lot of work around data science. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the job opportunities and the ability to be able to move ahead has been very rapid. And uh, I know you were chair or, or a lead, in a leadership position for Northern Virginia Technology Council. And having sat along some of those meetings. It's, this is a big issue for our area. Uh, are there things that we could be doing as individuals, as a company, as our education system to help close that gap and develop some in, m- new raw talent out there? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a big issue for probably every business that's uh, certainly in the technology space is talent. How do we keep talent? How do we attract talent? Um, you know, part of it starts very early in life. Are we encouraging young people to get into technical disciplines? And if not technical disciplines, still having technical skills. You might be a history major, but it's important to have an analytics uh, background because today with data being so pervasive, um, you can be in the humanities or you can be in a STEM area, but data analytics is going to be important regardless of where you are. And so I think it all starts with our education system early on, um, our community colleges, our universities, um, I think in Virginia, Governor Northam recently announced a new initiative um, to go along with you know, Amazon moving to Virginia and the Virginia Tech Innovation Center. Um, he announced a significant investment with multiple universities to increase the number of STEM graduates coming out of our universities, which is very important. Uh, we don't produce enough of those graduates in the United States. We've been very fortunate and blessed to have an influx of outstanding talent from around the world uh, that has come to the United States, immigrated to the United States, and become part of the American experiment uh, who are very, very talented and an important part of our workforce, but we need to continue to develop 
uh, in the United States coming out of our universities, more individuals that have these STEM backgrounds and have data analytics um, you know, backgrounds and experience. So I was, I was very pleased to see what Governor Northam recently announced. I think that's important. It really builds on uh, Amazon coming to our region. While Amazon came to Virginia, I look at Amazon coming to our region as benefiting the entire region. Uh, so I think it's a good thing for Maryland, D.C., and Virginia. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see more um, initiatives like that that really increase the pipeline because I think that's where you have to start. I mean, certainly the things that we can do as companies, kind of continuous learning, investment in our employees to gain more skills. But I think the most important thing is it really starts with that that pipeline, that early pipeline starting in second, you know, primary and secondary school and then community colleges and the four-year institutions. When you start looking at the statistics of uh – diversity amongst that worst force, it's not great. Um, do you think more needs to be done to attract a more diverse workforce? I mean, it's just a numbers game. There's just not enough people out there if, I mean, we've got to do something in that area. Yeah, I think, I mean, look, I th- I'm a strong proponent of diversity. I think diverse workforces are the best workforces because I think diversity broadly defined um, leads to um, uh, creativity, innovation, and, and stronger results. Um, you know, some disciplines have been more male-oriented disciplines. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty excited because I have a daughter who's a cyber engineer at Capital One uh, who's getting a engin- master's in engineering degree from George Washington University. And, and she'll tell you, you know, when she was in a different work situation, she was the only woman there. Now at Capital One, it's a very diverse workforce. So it really was exciting to her. Uh, I have another daughter who works for a technology company and a son who works for a technology company. So um, you know, my daughter is in a discipline, cyber engineering, that has not been as you know, many females in that discipline. So really excited to see her doing that. Uh, and it's diversity to more than just gender diversity. I think we want to do everything we possibly can um, to have the absolute, you know, biggest pool of talent. The only thing we discriminate on is merit and merit only. And that's it. And everything else is, you know, it, we, we want to get as many people into this pool as possible and have the most diverse workforce we can possibly have. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. And our guest today is Todd Stoudemire, CEO CNSI. So, Todd, what's next for you? Well, I'm, a, I'm the CEO of a, a very exciting, dynamic company, where, and we're trying to uh, you know, really grow in the marketplaces where we serve and looking at some other marketplaces, particularly the commercial marketplace for growth. So I'm excited where I am. I have a great team. Um, I think we have enormous opportunities in the marketplace to be successful. So I'm going to Keep doing that, and um, and hopefully the the team will have great success, and the company will continue to grow, and we'll do very important things um, in the healthcare space. Again, focused on how we get better health outcomes and how do we reduce healthcare cost. So, what is the biggest challenges you think leaders face today? You know, I think there's um, you know there's a lot of uncertainty um, in the macro environment. Um, I think today we we have an exceptionally tight labor force. Uh, with really, you know, challenging uh, to, you know, to be able to bring people into your um, uh, company just because of the tightness of the labor market. Um, I think those are challenges. I think the, probably the biggest challenge I think in the workforce today is the workforce probably is more diverse generationally than I've ever seen it. And, and I think you need to um, be responsive to that and get ahead of that. Um, You have people coming from different generations with different expectations about what work is, about where they work, um, how they communicate, how they receive information. Um, so I think it's incumbent upon leadership teams to have the dexterity and also people within your leadership team that represent those generations so that you can be an effective leader, effective communicator, and really lead and communicate to people on their own terms. Because I think if you try to do it on your terms, 
you're going to miss. So you really have to understand the generational differences. I think you have to appreciate and value the diversity of the workforce because I do believe diversity is an enormous strength in the workforce. You know, people come with different backgrounds. They come from different places. They they have different experiences. I view that as an enormous positive. Um, but I think it also, you know, can present some challenges because, you know, it's different than what you may have grown up with. It's different than what you may have experienced um, earlier in your career. The workplace is changing. It's dynamic. And I think the best companies are the companies that really get ahead of that and see that and use that as a competitive advantage. And certainly that's something we're trying to do at CNSI. Todd, your career and success you have had is truly inspirational. Your leadership style is truly inspirational. Any pearls of wisdom you have for the next generation of leaders? You know, I think it goes back to the you know conversation earlier about you know having real energy and passion around what you do. I think purpose is really important. That's one thing I really love about the younger generation uh, that I see in the workplace. I mean, purpose is really important to them, and I think that's terrific because purpose gets to where your energy is. Um, you know, I think servant leadership, you know, thinking about others before you think about yourself, I think stewardship is very important. Uh, and stewardship really is, you know, the, the stewardship, the responsibilities that you're given as a leader for others in your organization who have real dreams, aspirations, mortgages, bills, uh, kids, and things like that. And I think that stewardship is uh, very, very important. Um, you know, build exceptionally diverse teams. I, I do think organizations that have the most diverse teams are the most successful organizations because it brings a broader perspective and experiences to bear. And I think you lead, that leads to better decision-making. I think it leads to better uh, results. Um, you know, going back to my early experience, you know, listen and learn. Um, I try to listen as much as I can. Every couple of weeks, I have they, they call it Todd Talks, but it's really Todd Listens, just meeting with my different groups of employees, listening to what they're hearing and making sure when we communicate um, that they're hearing what we're trying to communicate. Um, you know, those are some of the things. And again, I think probably the most important goes back to that passion, that energy. Where's your passion? Where's your energy? You cannot fake energy. You cannot fake passion. Uh, employees are very good at seeing through that. So um, if you're going to lead an organization, you have to be all in. You have to be passionate. You have to be energetic about what you're doing. You have to be inspirational. Inspirational doesn't mean loud. It doesn't mean um, you know the loudest person in the room. Inspiration is, is really by your actions and how you lead and are your actions consistent with your words. I think employees really expect that. You can talk the talk, but they want you to walk the walk. And I think that's very important too. You've been listening to Leaders and Legend in Government. My guest today has been uh, Todd Stoudemire, CEO CNSI. Todd, I just want to thank you for joining us today at Leaders and Legend and sharing your personal journey and some very valuable advice. I'm Aileen Black. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black. Subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.
reminding you not to do things. What I mean is, with same-day delivery for everything from gifts to groceries, you only have to do the things you want to do. To not do the other things, visit shipped.com. That's S-H-I-P-T dot com. You made it. Checked out of office to check into the sweet views of this place where the kids aren't asking for the Wi-Fi. Mom, can we go to the pool? And when you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it.